I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. At The Brand is Female, we're all about celebrating women and their power. That power exists within each of us, and by tapping into it, we make the world a better place. And we're here to inspire more women to do this. These values are shared by L'Oreal Paris and the Women Are Worth program, and they are now accepting nominations for the 2022 edition. Do you know a Canadian woman who passionately volunteers her time and energy to help people in her community? Well, recognize her dedication with a nomination for the 2022 Women of Worth, a philanthropic program which recognizes the achievements of 10 nonprofit leaders from across Canada who are making meaningful change addressing some of society's most pressing issues. Each woman will receive a $10,000 donation to their cause and be celebrated during a gala on International Women's Day. Head to the link in our show notes by December 23rd and see our women role models get the recognition they so deserve. This week, my guest is Jennifer Abbott, a Sundance and Genie award-winning Canadian filmmaker, best known as the co-director and editor of the award-winning documentary, The Corporation. Last year, she released The Magnitude of All Things, a new film which explores how we face and accept the reality of climate catastrophe while cementing our determination to engage in the only thing we can now do, resist. It's been met with critical acclaim and has garnered over 10 awards and recognitions around the world, from South Korea to Italy, France, California, and Canada. Here is my conversation with Jennifer. Jennifer, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for making time to speak with me. Of course. Thank you so much for your interest. And I always ask my guests at the start of these chats to go back in time a little bit. And I want to ask you growing up, what did you dream you'd be doing later in life? And did it already had something to do with film or, uh, you know, a, a creative domain or was it something completely different? Well, I guess that depends how far back we go. I remember, you know, when I was really young, because I love non-human animals so much, I dreamed of becoming a veterinarian. And um, I think that shifted when I became more aware of what a lot of veterinarians do, given um, the situation between humans and non-human animals in our world and how we treat them. You know, a lot of them are working for intensive animal agribusiness, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that did shift. But yeah, I think that looking back now, uh, I... I'm aware that something deep inside of me uh, felt that the world around me and what I was being told about it wasn't accurate. And there were sort of complex dynamics behind the scenes that I was not privy to. And so I think I I very early on had this, this desire to learn more about the world, about power, about uh, justice issues, and, and really um, was driven to, to explore and expose 
what I felt ultimately, to tell you the honest truth, was a betrayal uh, between um, the way the world was described to me and what was really happening. So that's sort of how I eventually did get into filmmaking, although I took a circuitous route and I went to law school very briefly and I also went to art school. Mm. And so Tommy built the decision to make films. And, you know, since you had a variety of interests in, in a creative field, when did it become clear that um, making movies is what was meant for you? Sure. Well, I was always... Um you know, as a teenager, even, I self-identified as a feminist, and I was quite politically engaged. And so at uh, university, I took political science, uh, focusing on radical political thought and a deep ecology and women's studies. I graduated from McGill and mm. I went, oh my God, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> you know, how am I going to earn a living? And so I went to law school very briefly, uh, thinking that I would either pursue human rights law or animal rights law. Mm -hmm. But there, and I didn't last very long, I uh, realized that it it just was, it felt too burdened uh, by what I felt was ultimately sort of a stifling, um, stifling texts and things I was, you know, have the, what I would have to go through to actually become a lawyer, I think felt just, you know, just suffocating to me. Uh, I mean, I will acknowledge that being a lawyer can be a very creative profession, but you have to get to a certain point before you can actually exercise your creativity. So that was a very conscious decision. I said to myself, well, I want to do something political and socially engaged, but I also want to do something creative intellectual. And so mm -hmm. I, I very consciously quit law school, went to art school um, with the intent of becoming a filmmaker. Uh, and I did, I loved and, and did do a few years art, of art school, but ultimately I just took one film course and then I realized that I could teach myself what I mm. needed to know to become a filmmaker. And, and mostly I am self-taught as a filmmaker. Mm, that's that's very impressive. Um, were there role models, um, and I'm interested in hearing if there were women specifically who kind of you know represented uh, something something that you know a source of inspiration or somebody you looked up to as you made your way into the film industry? Well. I loved Jane Campion uh, and, <laughs> and the, you know, the piano. And, you know, that was a long time ago that film came out. And I remember when she was, um, you know, nominated, I believe it was for Best Screenplay. I'm not even sure she was nominated for Best Director, to tell you the truth. But, mm -hmm. of course, she was overlooked back then. And that was absolutely um, how it is and how it was was them yeah. in terms of um, women filmmakers so she was very inspiring to me and you know I had um, quite a few really strong women in my family my and like my ancestry actually um, and that's I think how I sort of became a feminist quite early on as I mentioned in my teenage years my 
great, like, I hope I'll get the number of greats right. I might not, but I mm-hmm. believe it's great, great, great. She was uh, Dr. Maud Abbott. She actually had to fight to go to medical school and was one of the first women to graduate um, and become a doctor in Canada. Like, she was barred from going to where she wanted to go and actually ended up, like, lobbying and going to Bishop's um, University and, and getting her uh, medical degree. And she's actually the only um, women doctor I believe still, but used to be the case in the Canadian Medical Hall of Fame. But, you know, so I had I had some ancestors that were really strong women. And yeah, I, I don't I don't think other than Jane Campion, I mean, certainly there were other women in my life, uh, but there really weren't that many women role models in the film industry mm-hmm. um, because it's pretty dominated by pretty male dominated white men, white men, you know, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a good segue. My next question was going to be, you know, how was it when you started out in the industry? It's already hard being a young emerging filmmaker, uh, especially in Canada. There's, you know, a, a few opportunities and many fighting for the same opportunities. And when you're a woman, especially, we know, uh, you know, it's an industry that tends to be male dominated with with few women who uh, make it as far, although we are seeing more and more, which is great news, but wondering how was that experience for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to be completely essentialist about it, because I do think that a lot of women um, who just play by the rules, and in some instances, actually uh, enable and facilitate the patriarchy can excel and do quite well. Uh, For myself, you know, I'm to the left of the spectrum and, you know, not only a feminist, but also, you know, really an anti-capitalist and, and, you know, I'm, uh, call out, uh, uh, the destructive history of colonization and white supremacy. And so, you know, I, I sort of, am my points of view, um, and others who share them have been quite marginalized. Although I think that you see more and more, uh, of people similar to me, our points of view emerging. So, uh, I mean, that said, it was quite remarkable, really, when we released the corporation, which was in 2003, because it's a left-wing critique of an economic institution, and it became this huge international hit um, to our surprise. But I absolutely struggled as a woman within, you know, at, at that time, that was my first, you know, big hit and the two my two main collaborators are a bit older than me and and both white men and often I would I definitely felt I was being treated as as the assistant to these other two and it was absolutely in no way the case that that was true and and not only that I actually got paid half of what they got paid now there were elaborate rationalizations about why that was the case uh, which mm-hmm. I fought, but didn't succeed. And it's the top grossing documentary in Canadian history. And, and I mm-hmm. played an absolutely central role in its creation. And I, I really uh, almost lost my house making it. Um, wow. And, you know, and not only that, I also <clears throat> was had a, had a young son at the time. And, you know, it was really, really challenging to not have the kind of supports that I would witness my male colleagues have if they were fathers, you know, I still was doing a huge amount of housework, huge amount of parenting. And yet I had 
this uh, the huge challenges as well of of not only making this film but then promoting it, which we did for a couple of years. Well, I mean, congratulations for that achievement. That that is still. I mean, I'm glad you didn't lose your house. <laughs> that's still, and uh, that's still really impressive. Um, was there and and you know documentary filmmaking specifically obviously comes with its set of, of its own set of challenges and opportunities. And where do you find inspiration? So what is, you know, how do you uh, come up with ideas for what you want to talk about? And maybe we can uh, even talk about your latest project, um, wondering how, you know, how you decide what you're going to be uh, telling in terms of stories. Yes. Well, I think for myself, you know, well, I, I'll say making documentary films, you are invariably going to come up against hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And, you know, that's in fundraising, but then it's also in the making of the film for so many reasons. You, you can never completely anticipate all of them. So, you know, what I've learned uh, through the years is that you have to believe in this film you're making in you know I used to be this is I, I used to be very hyperbolic about it when I was making my film a cow at my table and I was you know I released that film when I was 35 and I would say oh once this film is made I can die my life will have meaning you know and obviously that's full of hyperbole and I didn't want to die but that just gives you some uh taste of exactly how uh, important these projects are for me. I mean, I don't consider this my career. I don't consider this my, you know, work. This is what I do is just so deeply integral to who I am and, and finding mm. a voice in this society. You know, I feel very, very uh, blessed and privileged to have succeeded at finding a voice. And I, and that to me gives me a great deal of meaning. So, you know, for me, you have to I just have to believe in my project more than anything or, or it simply won't get made. And I simply won't have the, the, t the, the fortitude to continue until it's completed. Uh, so, so in um, 2020, I actually released two films. <laughs> that in itself was uh, not planned which is, which and I'll never do year. it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but basically um, with regards to the new corporation, the sequel to the, the first film. Uh, I actually didn't want to make a sequel. And when uh, Joel Bakken, who is a brilliant writer and um, co-director of the sequel, um, he he had the idea to make a sequel. I was like, no, no, no. There's no way I want to make another monster of a film like The Corporation. I co-directed the first one, but I also edited it and I cut that film from 400 hours of footage and it almost wow. destroyed me. So, um, so, but then I think for me with that one, uh, Trump was elected and I really felt not, not that Trump changed everything, but rather, you know, the veil came down in terms of any pretense that um, corporations were rigging the system and captured by government. I think that sort of pretense went out the window and I felt like there were new things to say. And so that's why I was ensconced um, and, and co-directed the, the new corporation with Joel. Mm -hmm. uh, but my other film is really my most personal film um, that I've ever made. And it's called The Magnitude of All Things and is about ecological grief. And really, it tells the story of two parallel narratives, the story of my sister's uh, 
death and her coming to terms with her deepest fears and sorrows uh, with you know, facing her mortality, and then this sort of larger collective um, experience we are wrestling with as a species as, and as societies, uh, coming to terms with the changing world around us, uh, changing because of climate catastrophe. So, you know, I had that idea for that film eight years ago, and where I live eight years ago, believe me, most people really had no idea what ecological grief was. It was, mm-hmm. it was before our, we now have a smoke season here where, you know, the skies are smoky and the sun is obscured and red 20, you know, as long as it's shining because of nearby uh, forest fires. And of course, um, you know, we, we just experienced these massive floods and winds and the heat dome and uh, litten burning. So ecological grief is very, is, um, you know, omnipresent here. It's ubiquitous where I live now. But eight years ago, people looked at me very confused um, <laughs> about it when I, when I told people this is this idea I had. And I, I had the idea um, exactly as I describe it at the beginning of the film, which is I was outside. It was a beautiful July day. There's this light breeze and I sort of look up to the sky and there's these tiny flakes and I thought it was snow. Um, they're just so beautiful. And the sky was orange. It was a you know, very serene ex- experience. And then I realized in an instant, no, this isn't snow. This is ash. And this is ash from this forest fire that I know is climate change related and it was just this moment where you know my heart contracted and I and I recognized the feeling I had was similar in tenor but different in intensity to the feelings of grief I had when I had lost my sister a couple years earlier and so that Mm -hmm. was really when I recognized that there was this huge dimension of climate catastrophe that really was largely absent from uh, public discourse and that's the emotional and psychological dimensions of the climate crisis and and I wanted to tell this story about uh, grief that I knew I was feeling for the changing world around me and I knew other people were feeling too Uh, of course that was variable dependent on how close they were to climate frontline or their climate awareness, et cetera, et cetera. And the more I researched it, the more I learned about this new field of um, the psychology of climate change. So that's how that idea came about. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. 
I'm truly proud that on this platform, week after week, we bring you conversations with Changemakers, a group of inspiring women leaders who are committed to purpose and impact. L'Oreal Paris shares this mission with us, and their Women of Worth initiative has been celebrating Canadian women leaders for six years now. Nominate a woman role model today and see her celebrated with a $10,000 donation to their cause, in addition to being celebrated during a gala on March 8. This year, L'Oreal Paris has made the nomination form available in five additional languages, including Arabic, Cree, Mandarin, Ojibwe, and Punjabi. You have until December 23rd to get nominations in. Head to the link in our episode notes today, and together, let's celebrate the women changemakers in your community. The topic itself is so important, and unfortunately, I haven't seen the film, but I've been, I'm excited to see it, and I've been reading a lot about it. Um, what what it's I want to ask a question because having spoken to a few women who are involved in uh, kind of different levels and different groups or different sides of um, you know raising awareness and and around environmental issues and uh, we know and I, I was actually just speaking to the founder of the Narwhal for an episode last week. Oh yeah, um, that's they're great. They did an article about magnitude. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And there's such, there's a lot of women who are out to change the world and kind of, you know, um, I, I, I've had this conversation a few times, but do you think that, and, and I hate phrasing it that way, but it almost feels like women are taking on this role as change makers, as activists. Do you feel that you being a woman kind of brings a certain lens or a certain, uh, direction to what you're, you know, to your intent in producing those kinds of movies, making those kinds of movies? Yes, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, being a woman in for, in our culture, and, you know, I'm a, I'm also, you know, I'm a middle-aged woman. So I, I grew up in Canada with, I think people people would be shocked if they were to review the films and TV shows they were watching in the the 70s and 80s. I mean, they're so absolutely uh, uh, insultingly sexist and you right. know, everything. Women's bodies are just so objectified and, and that's really the only thing that mattered about us. And that, that I mm. think, deeply penetrates our psyches as we go forward in the world. And of course, you know, I also grew up in a wor world that I do believe is uh, systematically racist. And, uh, you know, I'm a Caucasian person and that also influenced me uh, and, you know, trying to understand my place in the world. And, and I'll add uh, a deeply, deeply human exceptionalist society where, you know, we put humans on the top of an evolutionary pedestal and to me that is uh, profoundly problematic and and one of the root causes of so many of our problems today so you know i think all of those experiences deeply in fact impact who i am and and the, my voice and mm -hmm. as i said earlier you know my films are 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 the way i have found a voice in this society so You know, I try as best I can to untangle the social constructs that I do believe are at the heart of uh, the climate crisis and, and all of the intersectional issues um, that are part of the climate crisis. 
So, yeah, for for certain. And, you know, if we look at, at even the emo- emotion of grief, which, you know, I, I mean, my film is about emotions, right? And so I, mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I will tell you, and I, I um, said this once to uh, Andrew Williamson and Henrik Meyer, who are are two amazing producers on the magnitude of all things. And, you know, I will add you know, feminists themselves and, and deeply mm-hmm. committed to facilitating my vision. Uh, you know, I, I went and said just, you know, my wariness of ever appearing earnest or, you know, quote unquote, overly emotional or like I'm very, very careful walking this line. And I think that I have to be as a woman filmmaker more so than a male filmmaker. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's something because I don't want to be typecast and I don't want to be stereotyped. And I am intellectually rigorous and the research is rigorous, right? And I I, I would you know, the, the last thing that, you know, it would really be deeply insulting to me if, if anyone were to dismiss any of my films as being, uh, you know, sort of emo- uh, like sentimental, put it that way. Because, I mean, I, they deal with extraordinarily deep, deep emotions, but there's nothing sugary or sentimental about that. You know, mm-hmm. our emotions mm-hmm. are, are such a beautiful part of who we are as a species and um, yeah. to have them dismissed uh, and relegated to what is characterized as a lesser also, you know I, I obviously don't agree with that but a lesser feminine domain has is another one of our big cultural uh, missteps and mm-hmm. so you know I think I've just really tried to walk that line carefully as a woman filmmaker and well, and it sounds like you're you're doing it really well. Um, what advice would you give to young aspiring filmmakers and probably the the young aspiring women or non-binary filmmakers specifically? You know, tip, tips on navigating um, the industry and maybe you know staying true to your kind of your sense of purpose and and, and your values as an individual, which we know can be hard. Uh, really in, in any industry, but I can see how uh, how the film industry can be tough on young, aspiring, especially documentary filmmakers. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, the really great news is that there is, uh, you know, as a consequence of Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. uh, Land Back and sort of, you know, the exposure of the brutality uh, of residential schools, Um, in Canada, for example, uh, in the mainstream media. All of those things, I think, have contributed to, in our industry, uh, more of a desire to create spaces and funds like Mm -hmm. concrete money for BIPOC voices. So, so that's really great. There's, there's, uh, I mean, it's going to take a while to change. I'm not suggesting it's, it's, it's not, it's just there, there is, you can see there's, there's many new and very substantial funds in Canada today mm-hmm. for uh, BIPOC filmmakers. Um, for women filmmakers, um, BIPOC or Caucasian, I, if I were to give any advice, you know, I think one of the best things I did was I learned self-taught, you know, almost every aspect of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, cause I'm a editor, I'm a sound designer. Uh, I don't, I, I do produce. It's not my favorite thing to do, which is basically the, you know, it's a very difficult thing to do, but it, it's, uh, I, I really prefer when I have the great producers like I did on magnitude sort of facilitating uh, my vision so I can focus on the creative, but you know, I, I'm an editor and sound designer. I used to operate a camera, but I, I haven't kept up with camera technology. So I, I do need to hire DOPs, but because I, can do so much myself. If I don't have the budget, which I don't, I mean, I, when I first started out, I made um, my first feature documentary on an absolute shoestring budget. I did almost everything and I didn't have to pay somebody to edit the film and I didn't have to pay somebody to sound design the film. And that meant not only did I not have to pay somebody, but that I could, you know, at my discretion, spend just as much time as, as I, could, you know, I, I wanted to. Um, I mean, I did have to earn a living, which I did on the side. But you know, I I can spend hours and hours and hours just you know finessing thirty frames of, of film, right? And I'm not paying somebody a hundred, you know, a lot of a lot of money to do that on my behalf. So I really would recommend people that are starting out, if you have the, if you like it, like if you hate editing and people do tend to either hate it or not, I love it. If you, if you love it, by all means, just do it. And then that way you can just make, you can just like craft your, your masterpiece and tell it's something that you want to put out into the world. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that, that to me was probably my, my best move early on. And my favorite question to ask guests on the show, uh, and I've recently rephrased it, so there's kind of two questions in here. What do you wish women and non-binary people would do less of, and what do you wish they would do more of? And you can answer this from a personal standpoint, professional, or it it can be general. Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, for women and non-binary folks as well, I would... I guess I'll answer that question by just referencing a few things that I'm trying to do in my life currently. And, and, and that looking back on things I wished I had done earlier. And, you know, one of them is the way that I use my time. I mean, obviously just time is a jet plane, you know, it just goes by so quickly. And, I just spend so much time right now being reactive, responding to emails, responding to this request, that request, what, what it, whatever it may be. And it's very difficult to chisel away time to actually do what is most meaningful to me, which mm-hmm. is, you know, to, to, to make films. And often the pre, not often, always the precursor to that is to reflect deeply and to research in depth. I mean, I, I joke that I pretty well do a PhD every time I make a film, which I, I think is really quite accurate. And one of these days yeah. I should sign up for a PhD before I undertake it. Um, you know, I, I, I think just carving out the, the space to actually do what's meaningful in your life, even if it just feels like that's impossible. And I mean, I'm a single mom as well. So that is even more impossible for, for me sometimes or feels that way. But I just have to do that because um, it's, I, I think the way that our society is currently structured and set up is, is deeply unsatisfying. And 
but we do have choices there. It, I mean, obviously some people have way more choices than other people. Uh, but I, I think just really believing in yourself and understanding that part of believing in yourself is chiseling out time in your life to do what is meaningful to you. And of course, um, I also just, I'll just leave it at that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was was a good way to answer. And what's next for you? Where do you go from here? I mean, um, you know, uh, hard-hitting documentary, The Magnitude of All Things, um, you know, two films uh, the the, the year before. Um, Are you already hard at work on the next project? Well, I mean, it takes a long time to promote the films as well. So that's mostly, mm-hmm. especially with COVID, it was pretty rotten luck releasing two films during the pandemic. I mean, on the other hand, though, uh, one day I might be on Zoom Q&As with festivals, you know, in South Korea, France and and California, you know, all within a few hours. So certainly it cut down my carbon footprint and my uh, wrestling uh, with whether or not I was actually even going to fly to to, to promote these films. I, I had no choice. So that made the decision for me. Um, but yes, I am moving on and it's, you know, it's related to your last question, you know, this, this, no, this acknowledgement that what I, I mean, what I really need to do and really, really want to do is, is dive into that phase, uh, that beginning phase of new projects of deep reflection. Uh, and that takes, creating the space to do it, which I, I've started to do. So yes, I have started to work on a few other projects. Um, the Magnitude of All Things has this dramatic component to it. So it's a bit of a hybrid film of a narrative and documentary. And I also wrote a screenplay a couple of years ago, uh, mostly while sitting at the side of my do- my twin daughters, my twin daughters' uh, swim mm-hmm. team practice at the pool. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I really am drawn uh, more and more to uh, narrative. And uh, so I'm also, you know, one of the projects that I'm currently working on is a, a narrative fiction film, and there's some other ones as well. But all of them are, uh, I'm too preliminary to to describe at this stage okay they're in the work to follow up with you yeah yeah i mean my films take a long time they always do and so this is sort of par for the course i hear you well thank you so much jennifer it was a pleasure getting to know you a little bit better and we'll all be tuning in watching uh, the magnitude of all things and we'll stay tuned for what that next project is thank you for your time today thank you thank you so much it was a pleasure to speak with you my pleasure I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope. Yeah.